Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this room with your saints and to collectively focus our attention on you that we could, as we spoke earlier, we could, we could see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Lord, as we hear your word today, as we read your word, I pray that, that we, we see your face, Lord Jesus. We see the face of Jesus Christ and therefore see the glory of God. And as we, as we expound on these scriptures today, I pray that you give me the ability to say what you want me to say. And more importantly, I pray that our minds and our hearts and our spirits would be so open that we see by the Spirit of God what we maybe didn't see before. Speak to us today through your Spirit, and I pray in your name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing uh, this, this series, The Church Which Is His Body. Uh, if you're doing the countdown after today, we will have two Sundays left. Uh, in this series. Next Sunday, we will have a full house because I'm going to be talking about speaking in tongues. <laughs> My father-in-law used to say he was going to put an ad in the paper that this coming Sunday, he was going to talk on tongues and then, then go to James. No one can bridle their tongue. <laughs> But today, we're talking about the gift of prophecy, and, and we're beginning, we, we have looked at the power gifts, and today we're looking at the vocal gifts, and of course, revelatory gifts we started with, uh, and then next week, we will combine uh, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And uh, so, but today, we're dealing with the gift of prophecy, and it's just, it, it's, uh, it's important to understand that God desires to speak through his church to people in the earth, not just to speak to his church, but to speak through his church to one another and to those who are not in his church. Uh, he's not done speaking. Now, he's not, he's not uh, through. He's, he is through writing the Bible, which is, brings us to our first introductory point. Prophecy does not replace the Bible or any of the great historic doctrines of the church. We need to make sure we embrace especially the sanctity and the holiness of God's Word. It's not the book that's holy. Everybody understand that? It's not the book that's holy. That's why I don't mind marking in my book. It's the words of God that someone has put on written down. That's what's holy. When you say something and someone writes it down and gives it to somebody else, those words are important. The piece of paper they wrote it down on means nothing. But the words are everything. And so the there's no prophecy that's, that replaces the Bible. Uh, and secondly, prophecy exists basically on two levels. And first of all is that God breathed words. Uh, if you're taking notes, 2 Timothy 3.16, such as the prophecy that was inscripturated into the Bible. The words that were written down of old that we hold in our hands, 66 books. We call it the canon, C-A-N-O-N, of Scripture. Now, the canon has been closed. I hope we understand that. By that, I mean they're, they're, since, they, since we closed the canon, and if you, so you, you want to understand that better, 
get a hold of a book called How We Got the Bible. Very good read, very easy read. It's not written for clergymen. It's not written for theologians. It's written for everybody to understand how we got the Bible. But the canon is closed. There's no more adding to the Scripture. But the second part of, of prophecy are what we call spirit-quickened words, which may be 100% accurate, yet they're not placed on par with Scripture, and they are not God-breathed in the sense that we write it down as his, as his Scripture. We, so when we have prophecy today... Uh, many times it is totally accurate, but it's not, it's not added to the canon. It confirms the canon of Scripture. If it doesn't confirm, the, or if the Scripture does not confirm the Word, then we need to reconsider the Word. We, when we talk about prophecy, we also have to, to beware of the counterfeit. There is a counterfeit of everything. Remember that the kingdom of darkness is a slice out of the kingdom of God. One-third of the angels were swept out of heaven, kicked out, excommunicated, whatever terminology you want to use. And so this slice from the kingdom of God that is now the kingdom of darkness has characteristics and strategies that may resemble the kingdom of God. Scripture is very clear about some of this uh, in uh, Manasseh, it says Manasseh practiced sorcery and divination. And he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did, he did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. I think, we, I think we've come a long way in, in the church universal regarding this. But when we were young folks and in our Baptist church, in the movie The Exorcist came out, we kept trying to tell all of our friends, don't go see that movie. Don't go see that movie. And, oh, it's, it's not real. It's not real. Yes, it is real. It's more real than you know. And, you know, the Ouija boards and stuff. And we'd say, man, don't, don't do that. Oh, it's, it's just playing. Yeah, that's what Manasseh thought, maybe. Evil in the sight of the Lord. Leviticus 19.26 says, Do not practice fortune-telling or witchcraft. Fortune-telling is the counterfeit to prophecy. And then Deuteronomy 18 really hits us hard on the counterfeit part. Do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Why is it detestable to the Lord? Because it's not of Him. There's no life in that. As a matter of fact, there's death in that. And yet, some people get fooled by that stuff because it looks like prophecy. It looks like the legitimate. So we've got to be careful that we understand there is a counterfeit because the devil is always up to no good. The devil never rests. Him and The devil and his demons never rest. They are always up to no good, seeking to deceive the elect if they could. So we will once again turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read those first 11 verses. Uh, and I'm going to read today from the English Standard Version. If you would stand... Uh, 
with me while we read God's word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, and to another the same, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, and all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You can be seated. When we speak of the gift of prophecy, we're not necessarily speaking of the office of the prophet. Now, obviously, the office of the prophet is held by people who prophesy, who will offer prophecy. But, and the, the difference is that there, there is a limited number of people that are called and gifted for the office of the prophet, the first part of this series, we, did, we dealt with the leadership gifts in Ephesians 4, and prophet was one of those. But today we're talking about prophecy. And we say, what is prophecy? Well, let me just read you these verses that are very familiar. Uh, they are quoted in Acts by Peter, but it comes from Joel 2.28. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. See, it's not a select few that are good enough. Your sons and your daughters shall, read that word. Say it, read it again. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. We'll get we'll determine how, what age we are here. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And not only did God pour out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, He's still pouring out his spirit today among people. We can call prophecy a divine disclosure on behalf of the spirit, an edifying revelation of the spirit for the moment. We said when we began this part of the series that these nine gifts are particularly momentary. And so these they, they are given for the moment and they're given in the moment when it's needed. Uh, you could call it a sudden or immediate or momentary insight by the Holy Spirit that prompts exhortation, but also prompts co comfort. At the end of the day, if exhortation and comfort doesn't come out of it, we need to reconsider what it is. It's also important to know, especially in the New Covenant, that prophecy as we talk about it is not only foretelling, but it's forthtelling, F-O-R-T-H. The Old Testament was primarily foretelling. 
And that still goes on today. It's still true today. There's still people who have the gift of prophecy, both prophets and those who have momentary gifts of prophecy. It is still true today that the future sometimes, and we'll get to that, is told. But we need to make sure we allow for the fact that part of the prophetic word is to foretell or to, or to tell. Let me give you a Pastor Dick Stark who's a pastor in Alexander City, Alabama, said this, Prophecy is a foretelling of the thoughts of God to you right now. Through prophecy, God articulates his feelings toward us, his plan for us, his comfort for present distress, and the changes that need to be implemented in order to align ourselves with his will. So it's speaking into the moment, a word into the moment that may not be foretelling the future, but speaks a word into that moment that blesses, encourages, maybe corrects someone. Prophecy is directly... Proclaiming the mind of God by the inspiration and the prompting of his Holy Spirit and not from one's own thoughts. And this is the key. That when, we're, when we hear the word or we see the word and we, we share it with people, we share, we're supposed to be sharing God's own mind in that moment. And say, so, well, my goodness, that takes us superhuman. No, it doesn't. He just said... In Joel, I'm going to pour it out even on the servants, the male and female servants. I'm going to pour out my spirit. And, and, and we can all, and I'll, I'll show you a verse in a minute that we all prophesy. Uh, but the, here's a verse. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Obviously, that, that includes women. Spoke by the Holy Spirit, moved by God, speaking by the Holy Spirit, not as an act of human will. I've heard enough human will prophecies in my time. We used to have a guy in church that we were involved in when I was associate pastor in the early days. Uh, he would uh, he actually was in a wheelchair, but he'd, he'd roll up front, and you can guarantee it every Sunday. Every Sunday he would, he would prophesy, and this would be his prophecy. I am the Lord, and I love you. That was the end of it. Well, thank God for that word. But I wondered if God spoke that every Sunday. Maybe he did, uh, but Cecil Robeck, who's a professor at Fuller Seminary, said the one who prophesies is not the inventor, merely the conveyor of the message. And there's no confusion between the person who speaks the message and the person whose message is spoken. God, God desires a mouthpiece in the earth. Jesus prayed, and we'll deal with this more on the last session of this series, but Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Jesus was praying that the elements and the characteristics of God's kingdom that are in heaven would be seen in the earth. And he's, he's praying that knowing that his, his church who would administer that in the earth. And so one part of that is that we, his church, would be his mouthpiece in the earth for those moments that someone needs to hear a word, whether it be something foretelling or forthtelling, but in that moment, he needs you and me to be available to be his mouthpiece in the earth so that his kingdom can be in the earth, the elements of his kingdom. 
As I said earlier, that prophecy may be a prediction. It may be predicting the future. We're not going to turn, but if you look in, if you write down Acts 11, actually I'm going to read it if you want to turn, but Acts 11, 27, Agabus, the prophet, it says, um, now in those days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and, one, and it wasn't Antioch here, by the way. That was just a little different place. After one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit, that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Now, he's, he's prophesying a famine. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So he foretells this great famine, and they began making preparations, by the way. That's another sermon in and of itself, how the church responded in that moment to that crisis. Um, the same guy in chapter 21 of Acts, the same prophet, uh, don't you look to hear pages turn. Uh, the same prophet, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, same guy, came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he takes Paul's belt, he binds him in a prophetic measure, and he says this is what's going to happen. So now he's foretelling Paul being bound and captured by those. By the way, this guy is as popular as Jim Cantore on the Gulf Coast. If you don't know who Jim Cantori is, he's the guy that shows up every time there's a hurricane. And our our relatives in Panama City, they'll call and say, hey, Jim Cantori's here. We're in trouble. And this prophet, when he showed up, nobody wanted him to show up because he prophesied a famine. He prophesied Paul being bound and both obviously took place. It, it The prophecy could also be an indication of God's will in a given situation. Uh, if you're taking notes, you want to write down Acts chapter 13. Uh, and it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now listen. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Now how do you think the Holy Spirit said it? There were prophets there. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the prophets are gathered, and the Holy Spirit says through one of the prophets, set aside Barnabas and Saul, and this is where they were ordained and sent out as apostles to do the work of, of a apostle ministry. So it could be a prediction. It could be some indication of a given situation. I'm not going to go back and repeat me telling you how the young man gave me a word about my calling into the ministry. Uh, I'll be glad to share that with you. Uh, I'll give you a CD. Uh, that was just, uh, so anyway, that's, that's kind of understanding what the prophecy is. Now, now let's talk for a minute about the proper use of this gift. Proper use is important. Now, I want to talk just for a moment about opposing extremes uh, or opposite extremes. 
One is an unrestrained spirit of prophecy, unrestrained without any government or controls whatsoever. And that brings us into a place of danger of fanaticism and exclusivism. And I've seen this, you've seen this, and that is just people who, without any kind of oversight, without any kind of government of God in their life, they just begin just throwing out these words all over the place, like machine gun prophecy. And it becomes it becomes just wacko. I mean, uh, just crazy stuff. Uh, oh Lord, why is it, this don't even apply, Lord? But I told you anyway. We're up in Vincennes, Indiana, nineteen eighty four, I think. And of course, Vincennes, Indiana is the home of Red Skelton. How many of you know who Red Skelton is? All right, we're in a good group. If you ever go to Pigeon Forge, there's a guy there that does Red Skelton. You need to go to his show. But anyway. And so we're at this meeting, and, and uh, there's this little guy comes up to me at the end of the meeting, and he's telling me, he's, you know, he's a little guy like that. He's looking up at me. He's talking. A lot of people look up to me. I understand that. Anyway, and he's, he's telling me some weird stuff. I mean, lions and moons and planets and lining up, and I'm going, mm, okay, buddy. And then he stops. He stops a minute, and he says, and he, 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 in his mind, he's prophesying to me. And he stops and he says, hold on a minute. I said, what's up? He said, I'm getting some static. <laughs> he starts turning his eyes around, turns his head, cocks his head a little bit. And he said, I'm trying to hear through that static. Well, what he really needed probably was deliverance. But... <laughs> If without any kind of restraint, First uh, Corinthians fourteen twenty nine says, "Let the others judge." If someone's going to prophesy, if someone's going to offer a word of prophecy, there must be some kind of judgment, and usually it's by those around. And it would be great if it's other people who have or have the ability to prophesy. Uh, the other, the other side of that coin is dead institutionalism. It's those that say prophecy is no more. That when the scripture was completed, we don't need any more prophecy. And uh, that's not true. It is true, and I'll repeat myself, it is true that the scripture is the end all be all when it comes to prophecy. It, and I'll come back to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. So that, that brings us to uh, this danger of stifling God's spirit. God wants to Somebody's trying to send me something. I'll take it. Uh, uh, we stifle the Holy Spirit that he's trying to say something. And we say, well, no, we can't do that because that doesn't apply for today. All right. Here's another part of understanding prophecy. And that is it must, must have God's love. For the prophetic utterance to have value. Must have God's love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Without love, we're just making a bunch of noise. Love, agape, has to be the motivation for any prophecy that we want to offer. It must come out of agape. It must be birthed in the soil of agape. Why do I, why do I say that? Because sometimes it's self-serving. Sometimes we want to offer a word of prophecy to look important or to look smart. What is the motivation? 
Is the motivation to encourage someone? Is the motivation to be God's mouthpiece? Or is the motivation to draw attention to ourselves? That will answer the question as to whether or not, getting back to here, whether or not that word is God and we're really hearing God. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, especially desire. By the way, just turn in your Bibles or your phones to chapter 14. Because I'm going to go through several verses here. I'm not going to read the verses. I just want you to see them. Um, we will come back to these verses next Sunday. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I probably will. Is There, there is and has been a a concerted effort or a a thought process that says that the gift of tongues is Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, the gift of tongues is no good. Prophecy is good. That's not what he's saying. And we'll see that when we read these verses next week. Um, Oh, Lord, help me. Especially desire the gift of prophecy. Chapter 14, verse one, especially, um, Verse 3 tells us that true prophecy will edify, exhort, and console. Edify, exhort, and console. Now, let me tell you, if you get a, if someone gives you a prophetic word or you hear a prophetic word of correction, if you respond to that rightly, you will be, you'll be comforted, you'll be consoled at the end of the day. If you hear a word of correction and you resist that, then you're not going to be very comforted. But God did his part by offering the word. And, uh, and so it, it, will call, it will give you comfort and console you. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, I went to Mayberry Days last week. And so it's kind of like Goober going for a loan to buy the gas station in Mayberry. And Cyrus Tankersley, the banker, said, we want to encourage all of our small businessmen, our small businesses. So come in and sit down. And Cyrus Tankersley said, what are you going to put up for collateral? And, of course, Goober said, collateral. What's collateral? And he said, well, you know, you need to put something up of equal value to protect the bank and so forth. And he said, when I came in here, you said that your business was to encourage small businesses. He said, I am. He said, I don't feel very encouraged right now. And he said, he said, actually, I think what you're trying to tell me is that I can't get the loan until I prove to you I don't need it. Prophecy will, ex- will exhort, edify, and console you. Verse 5 teaches us that prophecy is a more desirable tool in the public meeting, and this is what Paul was after. He, he, he didn't say don't speak in tongues. He said if you're, going to, if you're going to get up in a public meeting and say something, it's, more, it's probably of more value if you'll offer a word of prophecy. And we'll deal with that next week more in more detail. But he's saying this. If I, he said I can say all these words, but it would be better if I just said it in English so you could understand it or whatever language is understood, in our case, English. Verse 31 is an important verse, and I'll just read it. It basically teaches us that everyone can prophesy, and you're probably there. But verse 31 says, For you can all prophesy 
one by one. Everybody say all. You know that includes you, don't you? You see, you're looking around the room. I wonder who that means. That means the person in the mirror. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. All. The next verse teaches us that we should be subject to our own spirits. Prophecy doesn't equal out of control. And this is another danger in the gifts of the Spirit. I hear people saying, well, the Holy Spirit took over and made me do this and made me say that and made me go there. Wrong spirit. Little s. Demonic spirit. (laughs) That's the spirits that take over. That's the spirits that dominate us. God's Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we are subject to our own spirits. And when we speak a word of prophecy, it's not the Holy Spirit making us do anything. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We are under control of ourselves, and we're speaking what he gives us. You okay with that? Prophecy, verse 33 teaches us prophecy should not breed confusion. Oh, boy, years ago we heard of a church, years ago, we heard of a church where they, they were having all kind of problems and wrangling and carrying on, and somebody got up in the meeting and said, you know, speaking from, you know, you know, I guess people thought that if you're going to prophesy, you have to say, yea, I say unto thee. Yea, I say unto thee. I see all of your goings on and all the things going on, and I see... All the confusion that's happening in your midst. And I must say, yay, even I am confused. <laughs> you have to wonder about that prophecy. Well, uh, the same church, we talk, I mean, I'm, I was told this story. I assume it's true. But the same church, a little while later, they kind of got their act together. And the same person got up and prophesied again and said, hey, yay, I see, yay, say unto thee, I see that you've come together and I see that everything is done well, everything's been going on, and I just wish I could have been there myself. (laughs) You see what I mean? See, without proper instruction, without proper understanding, that's where we go. And we, we we just breed confusion. Verse 39 And 40 tell us to desire to prophesy in an orderly manner. One of the things, I had grown up in certain churches, uh, and some of them we didn't attend regularly, but we were there some, and watching people that I considered to be out of control, and watching people uh, that just wasn't orderly at all. And I didn't know what, I wouldn't have known how to say that, but it really made me nervous. And one of the things that attracted me to what we came to call the charismatic movement and the teachers that we began to listen to, of course, one of them was Charles Simpson, and there's a whole long list of others, was the orderliness of their teaching and the fact that the Holy Spirit was orderly and that the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing. And anyway, that began to attract me as a 17-year-old kid and I thought, well, I, I, can, I can get into that. This other stuff I've seen in churches, I, I don't know about all that. So I began to, obviously, we began to move in that direction. You can't talk about the gift of prophecy without talking for a minute about personal prophecy. And this is what really makes people nervous. And I'll be honest with you. 
When someone comes to me and says, I got a word of prophecy for you, I get nervous. I really do. Oh, shoot. Turn to First Thessalonians 5. You're, you're in Corinthians. It's just a few books over. And don't get nervous. We're getting close to be done. I, I had some five-hour energy drinks in the back. I should have given them out. <laughs> First Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Watch this. Do not quench the Spirit. What do you mean by that, Paul? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Do not quench the Spirit, and do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Everybody say test. Test Test everything. When we're dealing, and you've heard this from me so many times, uh, if you hadn't, then you're going to hear it again. If you have, you're going to hear it again too. Personal prophecy can and often is valid. I know that scares us, but, but when someone gives us a personal word, it can be and often is a valid statement by someone from the Lord. Um. Yet, we should never change or order our life because of a personal prophecy. Never change the direction of your life because someone said to you, thus saith the Lord. It may be right. Now, in my case, when the young man said to me what he said about picking up the clothes and going back and picking them up. In my case, I already knew the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and what he did was confirm what I already knew. But when someone gives you a personal word of prophecy and you don't you don't immediately identify with that word, don't change. Don't say, well, I'm going to change my life based on what they said. No, don't do that. Wait. Sometimes the personal word confirms what we already know or suspect. In that case, we should act on it. You should act on it. And you, you, you know sometimes when God's dealing with you and someone says something to you and it's confirming to you, you should act on it. Sometimes it's a word we don't know anything about. Then we should shelve it until God confirms the word. So in other words, if someone wants to give you a personal word of prophecy, then you should take that word and put it on your proverbial shelf. I don't know where that shelf is, but put it on the shelf. Don't don't completely discount it, but definitely don't go altering your life. And say, God, there's that word they gave me. If it's you, then confirm it. If it's not, it's going to stay on the shelf. Boy, y'all looking at me like I got two heads. Do I? <clears throat> now, here's an important part. This, and this applies to all prophecy, not just personal prophecy, but we're going to stick it in here. When the word violates the scripture, we should rebuke the word and the messenger. Someone says, thus saith the Lord. You shall leave your husband and your children and you shall divorce your husband, and you shall go into a worldwide ministry traveling the world. (laughs) 
I heard a lady say that. That God had set her free from her family so she could travel the world in ministry. When someone says that to you, and if it's that blatant, don't just rebuke the word, rebuke the messenger. And let them know that's not of God because it violates the Scripture. Any word of prophecy that that violates the Scripture or does not line up with the Scripture, we must discount. We We must disregard. Must. Having said that, never despise prophetic utterances. Don't despise when people say things. I got to be honest, I've been in meetings and people start speaking up to prophesying and I just cringe. Sometimes I cringe because I'm afraid what's coming next. I'm afraid what they're going to say. Or I'm afraid of what I'm going to have to deal with. But you know, um, I've had several occasions in this congregation where people have come up to me during worship or whatever and say, I got this word. And... On more than one occasion, I have said to that person, and it's been different people, hey, why don't you hold on to that? Why don't you put that back in your pocket for a week or two and let's see what God does with it? Again, we're subject to our own spirits. We're not out of control. And in, in every case, the person has said, sure. And there have been occasions when someone has come to me and said something like that, and about two weeks later, I pointed at him and said, hey, remember that word? Bring it. Because it's God. And sometimes sometimes people say things to me and I go, hmm, I don't know about that. Lord, help us. What are we going to do with this? Never, but here's the thing. Regardless, never despise prophetic utterances. God would not have had the Apostle Paul write in 1 Corinthians 12 that there's a gift of prophecy if he was not going to exercise it. But we got to keep it within the parameters of the Scripture. Or Revelation 19.10 says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Now this is not God, this is not Jesus, this is just a man standing there. He said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Here's the key. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's read that that last line together. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I said to you earlier that we, and I read to you the scripture that talked about seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. And when we come to the communion table, we must come seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. Because it's about Jesus Christ. It's it's not about anything or anyone else. And when we talk about prophecy, it has to be about Jesus Christ. It has to be the fact that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy telling people about Jesus Christ and speaking words to them is speaking and being the mouthpiece of Jesus our Lord. Rick Joyner said it this way, all true prophecy is his testimony. It comes from him 
It draws us to him. It is what he is saying to his church. We should never, ever disconnect the Lord Jesus and his testimony from the prophetic word. Sometimes it does, and sometimes we do. Sometimes people do. But if we will keep in our mind and in our focus that it's the testimony of Christ that's the spirit of prophecy, we will be more apt to offer legitimate God words in the moment to people to encourage and to exhort and to comfort and to console and to strengthen and to edify. And that's what prophecy really does. So here's how we're going to close. Earnestly desire the spirit of prophecy. I say to you to earnestly desire God to use you to speak his word in that moment to someone, maybe yourself, but to speak a word of prophecy. Now, don't just, don't just start making up stuff, but be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if you will, if he wouldn't have said everyone can prophesy if he didn't expect everyone to prophesy. Now, I may be slow, but I'm okay. I'm not going to say that because she, she hates me to say that. By the way, 46 years yesterday with that lady. And, and as Sean Pody said, 46 years in a row. <laughs> but I do get when God says all can prophesy that he expects us to. He expects us to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit and to have enough a root in the scripture to be able to offer a word to someone that is that does not contradict the scripture and is supported by the scripture and yet in that moment you know somebody said well if it's in the if it all we need is in the bible well i understand what that means but when the lord spoke to us to move from mandeville louisiana to hermitage tennessee there is not one bible verse that says that there's bible verses that talk about dothan If we had been reading closer, we might have read Antioch, maybe moved to Antioch. I don't know. But there was not one Bible verse that said that, but we knew God said it. And it was confirmed, and we moved, and we've been here 33 years. Been here longer, way longer than we were in our hometown. Earnestly. You, every one of you, everybody under the sound of my voice, earnestly desire that God would use you in some moment to offer someone that prophetic word that would encourage them. Can you do that? Stand with me.